powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, we, we recognize the, the ability of the roster that's, that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, which dropped this morning at 6 a.m. and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. I'm Mike Gill. That's Hunter Brody. Andrew DeCecco is in the house today for football at four. As the Eagles win, it was Jalen Hurts getting the win. But was it just Jalen Hurts? Of course not. There was a lot to get into, and we will do it now on today's edition of Football at Four. Andrew DeCecco here on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline, and he joins us right now. Andrew, what's going on, pal? Mike Hunter, how you guys doing today? All is good. It feels a little different after a W on a Monday than these last couple of weeks of slop that we saw. Um, and let's start with, we saw a lot of slop. What was different yesterday? Well, Jalen Hurts, first and foremost, gave the offense a shot in the arm. I don't think there's no denying that. But what I saw from Jalen, we saw some design runs for Jalen. He saw a good mix of 11 and 12 personnel. Uh, the quick passing game, a quarterback who got rid of the football quickly if, this, if his first read wasn't there. He wasn't asked to do a whole lot. They leaned on the running game with Miles Sanders, and they got Jalen Hurts, obviously, uh, creating, you know, they both went over the 100-yard rushing mark. It was just a good balance on offense, and every, the energy that Jalen Hurts brought to the offense really resonated throughout the whole team. And what you saw was the Eagles playing complementary football, and, and everything kind of came together, and they were able to pull off that upset. All right, so so much has been made of the fact of, all right, did they um, have a different game plan? Did Doug Peterson call a different game? Was What was different about the offense? Sure, Hertz gave him a shot in the arm, but was it just like, hey, I threw out my old playbook and I just generated a new one? What was different about the game plan? Well, they definitely played the Jalen's strengths and they kept the the offense very basic and you know i see a lot of a lot of folks saying well they they altered the game plan for Jalen hurts but they wouldn't do this for carson wentz well carson wentz is a fifth-year veteran that's getting paid 128 million dollars so to dumb the offense down to the point of what you're asking a rookie to do is kind of concerning when you're when you look at it in that in that light but i mean with, with Jalen, they, they got some design runs they took advantage of his, his athleticism and got him outside the pocket he was doing the quick passing game. They used the crossing routes. Um, they, they kept it. They kept it to short to intermediate. I mean, he had the one deep shot to Rager that was a little bit off the mark, but um, he made some nice throws. The, that 14-yarder Greg Ward before Miles Sanders' second touchdown was good. He, it was just a very uh, rhythmic offense, and um, it, it wasn't anything too special. They were, it was just more so them getting back to the basics and, and relying on the running game and, and getting Jalen Hurts out and taking advantage of his athleticism. And then with Jalen Hurts, he processes things quickly. He gets rid of the football when things aren't there. doesn't put the offense in harm's way. And, and he completes those, those short passes with accuracy and gives those guys a chance to run after the catch. The offensive line did not allow a sack. Is that ironic? Do they just play better? Or the way I see it is, you know, when Jalen Hurts didn't see what he liked, he would take the field. And I thought that that really helped the offensive line. Yeah, I don't think that they've gotten enough credit, Hunter, for, for the performance that they've had. I mean, Jack Driscoll 
shut down uh, Cam Jordan. I believe Cam Jordan had one tackle the entire game. Trey Hendrickson on the other side, that was one of the biggest matchups him versus Jordan Mailata. Trey Hendrickson went into that game with ten and a half sacks, and you hadn't you hadn't heard anything from him all game. I believe yeah, we ended with three tackles. Um, that's an outstanding effort from the from those two tackles, and I also thought Nate Herbig had a good game. Just the offensive line as a whole, uh, they held their blocks up fairly well. That that 82 yarder from Miles Sanders that was ex- that was ex- exceptionally blocked. And, you know, yeah, some of it had to do with the legs of Jalen Hurts it being able to evade pressure, but a lot of it had to do with a quarterback who's not going to sit back there and for five seconds and hold the football and take these hits. He's going to unload the football. If it's not there, lift the fight another down. And, um, and, and I think, what, I think it, that's what you saw. And I don't think there's any um, – I don't, I don't think there's any surprise that that recipe, you know, when you look at the end of the game, that they had they didn't give up a single sack. Andrew DeCecco, football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. You know, a lot of um, a lot of this offense, you know, throughout the last couple of weeks has not really been able to be utilized because of some of the things you're mentioning there. You know, hey, you're holding the ball too long, taking a lot of sacks. Uh, you know, when when I look at this situation and you can't do this with Hurts the whole time. He did not complete a very high percentage of passes. But what I talked about earlier in the show, Andrew, is his incompletions were not bad throws. They weren't inaccurate throws. They were good decisions. The reason his incompletions were there is because he made good decisions. That was what I found to be encouraging about what I saw from him. So when I see a low completion percentage from Wentz, I say, your completion percentage is low because you're an inaccurate thrower. When I see a low completion percentage from Hertz, it's not inaccuracies that I saw. It was more smart decisions in getting rid of the ball when there was no plays to be made. How much of that helped this offense? It helped them tremendously because it, it allowed them to keep rhythm. It's, it, it took uh, They were able to sustain drives and, and take any momentum that the Saints had when they did have some. You know, Jalen Hurts is not putting the ball in harm's way. There, if he's not going to sit back there, if there's an opportunity for him to pick up yards on the ground with his legs, he did that. Now, is that going to be sustainable long term for him to carry the ball as many times as he did to take these hits? No. But you know, if we're talking about a guy's first NFL start going into this week, he only plays 59 snaps, 15 throws. I mean, I thought that he handled himself very well, and you really saw the the poise and the composure from Hurts that you saw in college. And I mean, like you said, he did not, he didn't, you know, his throw, his incompletions, they were smart throws. They were good incompletions. They weren't, they weren't a product of, of, of inaccuracy and erratic throws. And I think that's encouraging to see. Miles Sanders can clearly go the distance when he gets that home run hit. And it just, I, I look at what happened yesterday because it wasn't as if he was tearing it up prior. I just hope that Doug Peterson can realize, you know what, if Miles Sanders has seven carries for 14 yards, he has the ability to just go off on one run. So do you think this is a scenario now where we've seen it a handful of times, regardless of what Miles Sanders has done, you got to keep pounding the rock because all it takes is one play. Do you think Doug Peterson now realizes this more than he did before? Yeah, you know, and when he broke that big one, man, I, I thought I thought of uh, all the times that we'd be we'd be talking every week about they got to get back to using Miles Sanders. Why are they not using him and utilizing him in the passing game? He's one of their most explosive weapons, yet they're not using him. Um, yeah, hundred, and, and and I've written about that in the past. It's like, look, th- there might be times where he gets two or three yards at a time. I mean, he, he may go seven carries for fourteen yards, but that 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 explosiveness that he has. 
the, the big playability, that home run threat, that's always there. And there's always that. All it needs to be is somewhat, somewhat slightly blocked up, and he's going to find the crease, and he can run the daylight. That's the type of player that he is. He's an elite running back that's been kind of held back by the, in, the inadequacies of the offense. And um, what you saw was, yes, they, they, he, he found a crease. It was very well blocked up, and he was able to you know turn that into an explosive 82-yard play that really completely turned the game, turned the tides of that game. And, yeah, they need to continue to rely on Miles Sanders. They Too often they get away from him after the first series once things start to sputter and they fall behind and they forget that they have, you know, this, this playmaker in their backfield and they and they go to the aerial attack to, to, and they don't yield much success. So I think that that is a recipe for success in these next three games. Yeah, now, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like we're just kicking dirt all over Wentz because there was a time no. where – he was the guy that gave you explosion in the offense and gave you big plays and, and all the things that we're talking about now. So what did we learn? What have we learned about some of Wentz's struggles? Or, like, you know, did you watch that game yesterday and, and find out more about what has been wrong with Wentz and the offense? I mean, was it more Wentz? Was it more Peterson? Was it a combination? Was it the offensive line? Because it seemed that we were constantly saying, well, it's a combination of all these things. Well, those things were the same yesterday, and it didn't look the same. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that had to do, Mike, with, with Jalen Hurts' ability to uh, evade the pocket and, and get out there on the move and his escapability to kind of, you know, make it life easier on the offensive line. I don't think that Carson Wentz made life easier for an offensive line that really was, was patchwork all season. He talked about 12 different lineups. You have to find ways to, to to take a little bit off their plate and get rid of the football. Don't hold don't hold on to the ball and, and and try to and try to go for that big play when there's a five or six yard completion and that, that's going to kind of keep the keep the chains moving. I think too often he got too too greedy or or too just just hell bent on going for the big play when there was other plays there that the defense was allowing underneath and and those things tend to tend to spiral and 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 that's why the offense couldn't really get anything going and a lot of it wasn't on, wasn't on him there was times where there just frankly wasn't guys that were there weren't guys that were getting open down the field and we still have to see that with Jalen Hurts because I, I do think there's going to be big play shots down the field uh, available with with guys like uh, with guys like Jalen Rager but I mean guys weren't getting open there were some protection breakdowns but there was also plays where where Carson Wentz was a little indecisive and held on the ball too long and then there was the blatant misfires on on simple basic throws such as screen passes that were not delivering the football where guys were in position to run after the catch. It, it was just a, a lot of things that kind of that, that began to mount, and that's, why they were, that's where they are where they are. I understand that Jalen Hurts and the offense will be the storyline, but I personally believe the reason why they won this game was the defense. I thought that they were tremendous. Hargrave, Sweat, you name it. They were all over the place, and for them, I know it got iffy at the end when Rodney McLeod left and Darius Slay left, and they were really holding on by a thread, but what they did, 17 nothing in the first half, I thought the defense deserved the game ball, if you will. Yeah, they sure did, and I wrote about that for InsideTheBirds.com. You know, as well as Jalen Hurts did in his first start, and and as as much life as he gave to the offense, I think you need to look at what the defensive line did. That that's that's where the that's where the team really cuts their teeth. That's where their investment is in the Javon Hargraves and the Fletcher Coxes and the Brandon Grams. That's where that's where their their defense is predicated on. And yeah, their back end was decimated. There was guy there was a guy named Kevon Seymour playing corner. I mean, uh, next and that could, and those guys could be back there next week. There's Marcus Epps playing safety because of the injury to Rodney McLeod, Kayvon Wallace. So the defensive line really needed to get home 
score, that thing thing could have got a little bit hairy there late in the game when you know when he was throwing some of his deep shots. But I mean, you talk about Javon Hargrave starting to come into his own. He's really starting to round in the form and he and he in an attack style defense where he doesn't have to read and react like he did in Pittsburgh. And and Fletcher Cox is is seems to have have a be reinvigorated and. Um, I thought Brandon Graham, Brandon Graham has been, he's been the constant all season long. He's been the guy that always gets the pressure or makes plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Ryan Ramchak from, from the Saints is one of the best tackles in football. He kept him at bay, but I thought that Josh Sweat did a fantastic job with, uh, against Teron Armstead. He couldn't handle his length or his bend or his, or his speed and athleticism. Um, Josh Sweat's a guy who, who is really really ascended in this and I guess this is his third season and I mean in a, in a rotational role it was a collective effort but the Eagles this is what they pay these guys for they really need those, needed those guys to deliver and and, and they did yesterday yeah uh, I want to get your opinion on some of the uh because Rodney McLeod out for the season with the torn ACL how big of a loss that is and how do they replace him who are some of the options uh that are here now that could step into that McLeod role. And you might think that McLeod could be gone for most of next year too. Yeah. You know, Mike, Ronnie McLeod is a player that he's always been viewed as the, the sidekick to Malcolm Jenkins or the back, you know, taking second fiddle to, to Darius Slay. He's been here five years. He's been a very consistent player, arguably one of the, one of the team's biggest unsung heroes. He's a, he's a very, he's a very sharp football IQ He's always around the football. He gets guys lined up. He, he is pretty much the, the glue to that defense now that Malcolm hasn't been there. And losing him is big. You know, the numbers may not support that, but, but Rodney is a very steady veteran, and, and he provides stability on the back end. Now, what you're going to see here is a lot of young players. But, you know, a few weeks ago, they, they released Will Parks, who's now he played uh, 81% of snaps for Denver yesterday, who also was suffering a rash of injuries. But they could use a guy like that right now, but – they got rid of him because they said that they wanted to play the young guys. Well, now is the time where they're going to play some of these young guys. And I assume the first crack will be Marcus Epps, who played 35 snaps yesterday. And Kayvon Wallace played, I believe, 28. So those guys, they're getting worked into the back end. And um, if I'm the Eagles, I really want to take a look at Kayvon Wallace in particular, the fourth-round pick, to see where he is, because you really may need to add to the safety position in the draft if, if he's not quite where you want him to be. But they like him or not, the Eagles really like Marcus Epps, and you're going to see a lot of – you're going to see kind of a platoon between the two guys um i think wallace is a better uh, all-around player i think Epps is more of a you know in the box player who can defend the run a little bit better but not quite as as, as effective on the back end um but you're going to see these two guys down the stretch here and you're also going to see a little bit of braylon arnold mixed in there what'd you think about the linebacker play you actually had an interception from duke riley and and alex singleton as well not an interception for him but those two specifically how'd you think they played yeah, you know it's a it's a collective team effort when you're saying the linebackers are even contributing to the win. I mean, Duke Riley had had a phenomenal game. He really did. He was everywhere. He was everywhere um, on on the defense. He was flowing uh, flowing sideline to sideline, swarming to the football. Um, he was even active on that on that onside kick. Um, he was just. I thought him and Singleton, it, it was a good tandem because both players are are they both play with with such tenacity and and football IQ and they and they they have this downhill mentality obviously Duke Riley is very much smaller in comparison to Singleton but I, I really like the way that Duke Riley plays the game 
Um, he's always on the attack, and and I thought that having a, having him step in for for an injured TJ Edwards, you really needed somebody else to help Alex Singleton, and I thought he did that, and he stepped up in a big way. And the Eagles likely don't win that game if it wasn't for for uh, his interception, which which was another play that that turned the tides when things were starting to look uh, look a little precarious. Uh, you know, when you look at Josh Sweat, for the people out, you know, he had two sacks yesterday. He has the strip sack. I mean, he had six and a half sacks. He's been making plays. What is the reason, um, and is it fair, that he does not essentially play the full brigade of snaps? I think he's about 55% of the snaps, right? Yes, he is. And um, I believe yesterday he only played, uh, it might have been around 30. He played 25 snaps. I know that. But uh, he, he's someone that is going to, he's always going to be a rotational player, Mike. And, and the reason why I say that is he suffered a, a very serious knee injury in high school. And, and um, he just had a rash of injuries throughout his career. And um, you, you want a guy like that to always stay fresh. And you wonder if he's going to be as effective when you ask him to take on a larger role on defense, or is he going to be, is he going to wear down and not have that burst off the line? The reason why I think he's so effective is because one, he's an athletic freak. He's their best overall pass rusher that they have, but they're able to always keep him fresh. And, and he's able to come out with that burst and that quick first step off the line uses, uses, he has an 81 inch wingspan. He's, He's just a, an athletic specimen, and he's able to use all of his ability when when he's in there because he's not being asked to, to be out there like uh, every snap like Brandon Graham. And um, I, I think that they have a good mix there with him and Barnett. Barnett is a he shows flashes. He's not a, he hasn't been as consistent, but um, Josh Sweat is a player that Jeff Mosher mentioned that the Eagles might want to consider signing to an extension. You know because oh boy, I mean of, of what he brings more cap more cap problems giving these guys these early extensions. Yeah, but I mean, when you, when you look at what he what he would probably warrant, I, I think that it would be a bargain considering um, considering what he brings to the table. And they don't have a a wealth of young pass rushers. When you look at it, um, you don't know what's going to happen with Derek Barnett and and Brandon Graham's, I believe, thirty two years old, and Vinny Curry's up there, and um, Josh Sweat's really the one piece that you have to build around. So I, I think that that would be a, a wise investment. What did you think of Nickel Roby Coleman's play last night? Man, I got this one wrong, man. I, when I, I remember when we were talking back in in May, I had him, I, I touted him as being a top five nickel in football, and uh, I think a lot of people did, and that was considered to be a bargain signing. And I really liked what he, the physicality and the scrappiness and and his match and mirror technique from the inside, and we just haven't seen that. His tackling effort has been extremely shoddy, and when he's been asked to kick out to the outside, he's been exposed there as well. I don't know where you go from from here with uh, with him. I think ultimately he won't be here next year, and I think you're going to see Avante Maddox kick into that role because um, Nikel Roby Coleman's actually been a liability. He's hurt the team more than he's helped. Yeah, and Avante Maddox being out too. I mean, I guess he's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, you're going to start to see. I don't know who they're going to put in that secondary for the Arizona game, right? I mean, who's uh, who are yeah. options to take his spot? What, what's that secondary look like on Sunday? Oh man, I was thinking about that today. If if depending on Slade's availability, uh, it, it could get really ugly with with you know DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk and and the weapons that they have. And I mean, it, it could be it's going to be someone like like a Kevon Seymour who um, gave up that touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders. He had he played in yesterday was his thirty second game in the NFL. He has some experience. Um, Graylin Arnold can play some nickel. He's played some safety and uh, and corner at, at Baylor. 
he was out this week with a hamstring, but he, there's that option to have him. The Eagles really like him. Um, Jalen Mills may have maybe asked to play some corner, depending on, 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 on how dire the situation is uh, as the week progresses. Uh, other than that, it's 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 extremely extremely barren the cupboard. So I mean, I don't know what many options that they have at this stage in the season. I want to get your thoughts on special teams, and not so much Jake Elliott, even though he missed a 22-yarder, but what's going on with this punt return game? Uh, Greg Ward, he, he's not even catching it, and Jalen Rager had that explosive play a couple weeks ago, and you haven't seen him since, so what are they doing with that? Yeah, uh, and listen, I, I've, I've been a big proponent for Greg Ward as a wide receiver, and he's a nice story, but as a punt returner, Hunter, to me, he, he's almost too safe. He's become the, the Reno model, if you guys can remember that in the early 2000s, where he was sure-handed, he was going to be back there, and he's always going to you know field the football or, or fair catch it or, or maybe give you five yards after return. But he didn't offer much in terms of, of explosive plays. And now we're seeing some you know some some gaffes, some some poor decision making on the in the return game. And I think you have to at least look at getting Jalen Rager back there. I think Jalen Rager right now, I think there's a little bit of hesitancy because. He hasn't, you know, kind of like when they used to Sean Jackson you know, in an emergency situation when you really need to spark. But I think now is the time to really put him back there and, and, and allow him to flip field position because you're not going to get that from Greg Ward. And I, I know that Rager may not be the most sure-handed. I know there may be a little bit of that, that's what might be causing the hesitancy. I mean, even on the one that he returned, he, he, he dropped the football, picked it up like Deshaun did, like Deshaun did in the Miracle of the Meadowlands. But, um, I, I think right now you have to go to him because the, it, eventually the, the the costly it's going to be costly and, and and cost them one of these games in a in a close situation. By the way, we didn't really touch on the impact uh, Hargrave had either. I mean, then they're starting to. I don't know. He he did not start this year healthy. He was a little bit of a disappointment, but you're starting to see what he brings to the defense. Yeah, and like I said, you know, he, he's finally getting. I think it took a, it takes a while for guys to get guys coming from different systems to get adjusted to a new defense. And in this case, he's going from a, a read and react, or he's playing tentative with the Steelers. And he's, in, he's in, you know, obviously Jim Schwartz is an attack style, um, attack minded defensive coordinator, and, and that's what he's he's uh, being. He's on the attack all the time, going after going after the quarterback and. Um, he was hurt early in the season, so I think that cost him a little bit of uh, a little bit of progress. But now he's starting to round in the form. He's exactly uh, as he's playing as advertised. What you you invested in him to be that disruptive interior lineman opposite Fletcher Cox, who really hasn't had a competent running mate um, for the last few seasons because Tim Jernigan frankly didn't work out. Um, and 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 I think what you're seeing is, I mean, he has three and a half sacks over the past five games. And uh, I believe ten combined quarterback hits and pressures. That's 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 impressive. And um, he's he's starting to catch fire late in the season at the right time. And um, that's a that's a scary tackle combination, Mike. And the Eagles really need to get that get that interior pressure going against a guy like Kyler Murray. You saw what it did to Taysom Hill. It it it, it pushed the, the the pocket into his lap, but he wasn't able to step up in the pocket, and and it kind of um, it really limited his game. And um, that 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 that's solely uh, tied to what Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox were able to do. He's Andrew DeCecco, and of course, uh, football at four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, and uh, he, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, Andrew, talk to you soon. My pleasure, guys. Take care. All right, there he goes, and of course, this uh, is a hit. And if you don't the know, inside. You know, all right, uh, the. Um, 
Football at Four is brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your deposit up to $250. All right. So DeCheco brought up the fact that, uh, by the way, Hargrave, when they signed him, you talk about um, the interior pass rush. That's what he did really well in Pittsburgh. We have not seen that as much this year. Starting to see it the last couple of weeks. The problem I have is mixing that with Fletcher Cox getting to the end of his, uh, you know, productiveness right. at the highest level. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I thought you brought up a great point, though, with I'm pretty sure it was the pec injury that he was battling in the beginning of the year. Yeah. It maybe took him a little bit longer than we wanted it to, but it does seem like now he's playing differently, so maybe it has something to do with him coming back feeling better. Well, and then one of the things that Pittsburgh he did in Pittsburgh was he got the interior pushed. It allowed other guys around him to pick up the sacks because the D tackles aren't guys who get a lot of sacks. Right. You know, it's like you see these guys who are basically – pushing up the middle, and then you got to double them so you get the one-on-ones on the outside. I thought Trey Thomas did a really good job on the Inside the Birds podcast, uh, pregame show showing how they try to funnel everything. You send the one guy wide out here. You send the other guy inside here. You send the two tackles on a stunt here. to try to, Everything trying to funnel that quarterback to step, step into the middle there, and that's where you get a guy like Javon Hargrave that could really clean up, Absolutely. which you're starting to see a little bit more now. Here's the thing. Can that defense continue to play at this level? That's scary. With all the problems in the secondary. The secondary, that's going to be a major issue. I, I don't know. I mean, is it fair to expect them to be lethal at this point? Probably not. Not with Rodney McLeod out. Right. Uh, Maddox is nothing special. So you're going to hear a couple uh, fire Jim Schwartz tweets over the next couple of weeks, I would imagine. Did you see any yesterday? No. My guy, Schwartz. My guy. I've been on the Schwartz train. All right. I got the Eagles playoff scenarios. Do you want to hear them? Sadly. Coming up next. This is the radio home for Philadelphia Eagles football. This Sunday, the Eagles are in Arizona to face the Cardinals. He is hit. The football comes loose. The Eagles are on it. Is it a fumble? Yes! And the Eagles have it at the Cardinals. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Hi, uh, 431 at Mike Gill Show on Twitter at Broads81. What's going on? Brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call. Four convenient locations to serve you. Online, gmslaw.com. We're live on the 97.3 ESPN Facebook page. You can watch the show live over there. You can hit us up on the playsugarhouse.com text board, 609-403-0973. Um, all right, here are the scenarios for the Eagles. I know that we hate to get there, but the last couple of years, it feels like everybody buried them and said, I don't even want to talk about the playoffs. And then they make it. You look like an idiot for being that guy, right? Anytime you have a shot, you have a shot, especially in this division. They're about a game and a half out. I think that's what they are. Game and a half out, right? Six wins, four wins, and they got the tie. So you really got about four and a half wins. So here's the scenarios. If the Eagles win the three games they have left, which is not now out of the question if you feel if you watch what you saw yesterday, do you feel like it's out of the question anymore? Because when they had Wentz playing, I said there's no shot. I didn't see them winning another game. It obviously changes for sure. I just question, you know, actually having tape with the way Doug Peterson uses him, will that be the difference? We talk about Kyler Murray. Well, the Cardinals have an idea on how running quarterbacks work and, you know, what they tend to do. Their so, defense is bad. That's true. That's Arizona's very, very defense true. is bad. Very true. Although they had like eight sacks yesterday. <laughs> Reddick yeah, had five. five. Yeah, absolutely. That was wild. But 
Yeah, so, I do feel better to answer your if question. If they win the last three games, they need New York to lose once. They would have to lose to either Cleveland, Baltimore, or Dallas. I think at this point, Washington seems to be, but they lose Alex Smith. They need Washington to lose at least one of their next two. They play Seattle and Carolina. All right, Seattle's a tough one for them, for sure. Right, so if the Eagles win all three and the Giants lose one and Washington loses one, they would win the division. I don't want to get too far ahead, though. Like, I'm excited for what I saw. I'm intrigued by what I saw, but... Can I now say, like, oh, they can run the table? I just think that's a little too premature, but I'm still excited for what Jalen Hurts provided, if that makes sense. Well, you know sure. I mean? um, all right, if the Eagles go 2-1, and one, one of the two would have to be beating Washington. All right? They would then need the Giants to lose twice, Washington to lose the next two, and that means you would have beat them who as well. The, who are the Giants next? Cleveland. Games? Okay. At Baltimore, Dallas. Okay, so they got two real tough ones. Yeah, and Baltimore's interesting because if they lose tonight, they're eliminated. Yeah. They win tonight. That, and that could change that. the mentality of how they play that game. No question. Yeah, wow. So you're rooting for Baltimore tonight. Yeah, definitely. And then you need Dallas to lose at least once. They play San Fran, Philly, and the Giants. Those are all winnable games. That's right. Dallas can be – they're having the same conversation uh, down there on 105.3 uh, The Fan, right? After Jerry after Jones get in after they won yesterday, they yeah. look pretty impressive. After Jerry Jones calls in. After Jerry Jones came on today and said that Mike McCarthy would definitely be coming back next year. No surprise. So there's your scenarios. If the Eagles win all three games, they need the Giants and Washington to both lose at least one of their next two games. And then if they go two and one, they'd have to beat Washington. So there are scenarios. But here's another interesting thing. You know, we talked about this before. It looked as if the wild card team had no shot of coming out of the NFC East. That is not the case anymore. The NFC East essentially is now in the wild card race with both Washington and the Giants kind of being, well... Who's in Who's in that last wild card spot now? Is it Minnesota? Um, No, it is Arizona. Okay, and there are six and six? They are, are they seven right? and six. Seven and six at the moment. Right, so the wild card is still a possibility i guess it is it seems a little far well, i remember saying that the last couple of years where it looked ridiculous and then the one year they snuck in and got that wild card so here's the situation arizona seven and six minnesota six and seven chicago six and seven and you're four eight and one so you have just as good a shot at getting the wild card as you do essentially the division if you beat Arizona this week. It's going to be one of those things where the last week you need two things to happen and you need to win and you wait it out to see. And we've been a part of that before and it worked well, in their favor. Okay, let's just let's just take this slow. If you beat Arizona this week, you would now have beaten them head to head. They would be seven and seven, and you would be five eight and one, which means you would be one loss in the loss column behind them. I don't know what they have the last couple of weeks, but playing that NFC West, something tells me they got they've got the 49ers and the Rams coming up. So they don't have layups, and that team has been playing horribly defensively. They've been they've been horrible, and offensively they struggle a little bit. But so conceivably, you beat Arizona, you've now opened the door. I should say it's not a great possibility, but if you beat Arizona this week, you would now open the door 
to sneak in as a wild card team. I think that's where it starts. If we and come I, back next Monday and we're talking about an Eagles victory, I think then we can really yeah. dive into these scenarios. Right. Well, I say sneak in as a wild card. That would open the door for everybody to sneak in, meaning the Giants, if they were able to win, even if Washington loses, they are 6-7. and seven. If Arizona loses and Washington loses, you would be still in the wild card, Mick. That wild card is up for grabs. That seventh spot is now up for grabs to everybody in the league, I would say, except for Dallas, Atlanta, and Carolina, who all have nine losses. Just looking at the NFC in general, when we talk about the top NFC teams, other than what, Green Bay? Because we talk about what's happening in the AFC, and now Pittsburgh seems to be falling off a bit. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and you're scared of them and when it comes down to the most important time of the year. But this NFC in general, outside of Green Bay and then a Drew Brees-led New Orleans Saints team, I mean, what do you see in this conference as a whole? It is just a lot of teams where, you know, no one really pops. Does anyone really pop that's, like, unbeatable in this in this conference? No, I think we've been saying that all year, yeah, too. We weren't continues. all that impressed with the Saints, and then, of course, you go and beat the Saints. So, you know, last year, my reason when they lost that game to the Dolphins, why I kind of was like, look, it's just a game against the Dolphins. I, you People lose bad football games. But I saw you raise your level of play good enough to beat Green Bay last year. Now with Jalen Hurts, it shows me the level that you can get up to is you've got as high as beating the Saints. That doesn't mean you can consistently get there, but it tells me that if you have competent quarterback play, the pieces around you are good enough to get you a win against a team that is, I mean, I don't think you're beating Kansas City. Put it that way. I don't think you're beating. Could you beat Green Bay? Now with this new spark, can you beat, would that look different? Well, I mean, of course it would look different, but they played good Green enough. Ba they played Green Bay a week ago, and in the second half of that game, they were within a score. Now, if Wentz isn't a complete poop burger the whole first half of that game, who knows where that game is, Right. So, I know it sounds preposterous, but just watching how different the offense looked has given me a completely different outlook on these last three weeks. Well, I'm now watching weeks, them yeah. saying, hey, who knows what happens? You play these last three games, and I'm not – I had written them off that they were losing every game the rest of the year. I had no doubt in my mind they were losing the rest of their games. With Carson Wentz playing quarterback. Now I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way either. But once again, I don't want to make it too extreme to the point where, and, and I'm not saying you're saying this by any means, but, you know, oh, can they, you know, beat Green Bay in the playoffs? Like, I'm not going to that level, and I know you're not. But, you know, I just, I, I'm excited and intrigued, and I want to see where this takes me the next couple of weeks. But I'm not ready to say, you know, this is truly it, and this is now your dominating piece. There's a lot that you really still need to figure out. Was this just a one-week spark? I don't know. Was this a two-week spark? Was this a four-game spark? Well, is this really going to work long-term? I don't really have that information yet, and I'm going to enjoy the ride to see where it takes us. And look, he could play well over a four-game span, and I don't think that tells you this is what it is. Exactly. You know, because Wentz has played well for a lot longer than four games, and then, boom, it just fell apart. Did it fall apart because of And that's the big rub. Did it fall apart because of him, or did it fall apart because people have now figured out how to game plan for Wentz? I think a lot of a, a lot of it is factored in. I think there's pieces to both of yeah. that, for sure. And, and sadly, I tend to side more with he has 
falling apart. That's a huge part of it. Huge part of it is him himself mentally just not there. He's not there where he needs to be to make competent plays. So, yes, I'm with you. He was a huge part of this. I think there, there was a lot of pieces, but he was definitely a huge part of this. All right, let's get back to some anytime hotline calls. Old down Malcolm Jenkins. Eat that Eat that turf in Miles Sanders' best. Because what he did last week is stirring the pot with that drama. That was disgusting about his contract. Because we all know the reason he didn't he didn't stay here is he wanted more time. He wanted more time on the contract, and we weren't willing to do it. That's all it came down to. Is but let me get to the next point. Really, Jalen Hurts looked like a little Mike Vick. It's my last point, and it was amazing to see Carson Wentz. He's dead. You, Jake Elliott. <laughs> I'm, the the Jenkins thing, I wasn't on last week when that happened. I don't know if you guys talked about it at all, but I thought that was kind of weak sauce by Malcolm Jenkins. You do? Yeah. I thought it was interesting because Jim Schwartz praised him a day before for, like, a whole monologue. It was almost as if he was going on too long about the guy. And then the next day, Malcolm comes out and says that he was disrespected. It was just a weird two days. The way he said, like, they disrespected, I felt disrespected. Look, the organization was pretty clear. They didn't want to pay him the money that he was asking for. He had a contract, and I had no problem with them. We talked to him at the Super Bowl. He was live on set with us, and he had said, this is a business, yada, yada, and Scott Grayson and I said right after that was, you can't pay him what he's asking for. Very true. You can't pay him $14 million or whatever it was, $12 million, $14 million. He did say it wasn't about the money, as if he would have came back for less money. Or it was, was only just, about the money. I know. That's why I was confused on the statement. Yeah, that's why. I, I, I Look, I like Malcolm, and... He made this a nice goes- tackle on Sanders one on one before that run, though. Pretty good at the line of scrimmage. Well, came he made up the and one, gave him one, the one blitz play where he, you know, uh, blew up the fourth down play. Yep. I mean, yeah. See, uh, look, he could still he, play. He, play. he played. You know, he had. It wasn't that tough about moment, whether but. he could still play or not. It was I can't commit that much money to a guy who may only be able to play for one more year. Oh, and I agree I mean? with that move for sure. I was just talking more so yeah. about the caller. Like, yeah, Jenkins definitely got eaten alive. Yeah, on but that I was play just by a, Sanders. This is where, like, look. I don't have to agree with something 100% of the time. I like Malcolm. I agree with a lot of things that Malcolm says and does, but this one I can't. I I, I was like, come on, Malcolm. This wasn't like, I think he was just trying to be like, look, everybody's kicking dirt on the Eagles front office. I'm just going to get in on it. He took a shot. Like he was like living in the moment. Yeah, maybe maybe he was. Anytime hotline. It's Travis. I just, I'm so happy that the Eagles won. Really am. I'm happy for Jalen Hurts that he had a good game. But I think the Eagles should trade Carson Wentz for his own benefit. I think secretly Doug Peterson hates Carson Wentz. And I blame Carson Wentz too for his bad play. But I think if Carson Wentz got traded to the Colts, he would see more of the 2017 Wentz than you do now. And I think a big part of it is, uh, Doug Peterson's play calling. I kind of feel bad for the kid, but he hasn't had a good year. But I'm happy for the win, though, and thanks for taking my call. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for him. I feel like everybody's like going down this that This is road. what I think is going to happen. I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I, I feel like somehow, some way, they do move on from him. It doesn't make sense, sense from a contract standpoint, but I think they move on from him, and the Eagles will succeed with Jalen Hurst, and I think Carson Wentz will play well elsewhere. I honestly feel like that's what's going to happen. I don't know how they're going to do it. But do you have something inside of you that says they're going to find a way to move on from him? I don't know. All those reports yesterday, that was a ploy to be to try to tell other teams, if you want them, we're keeping them. I mean, everybody's reporting this yesterday that the Eagles plan to keep them. Guess what? Not if they got the right offer, they don't.
That's clear. But the cap hit, that's what it comes down well, to. Well, and that's something that we should get into a little bit later is how that cap hit looms. Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the free mobile app, powered by First Bank of Seattle. Turn it on. Leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Locked into South Jersey's number one sports radio talk show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, 10 to the top of the hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, at Mike Gill Show, at Bros81. Follow us on Twitter. Show is live on our 97.3 ESPN Facebook page. You can get involved on the text board. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. We got more anytime hotline calls. You know, this whole thing with trading wins and the cap hits and all that stuff, it is very, very complicated. I'm not like a capologist over here, but a lot of this stuff is like very um, dependent on when they trade them. You know what I'm saying? Like they have to decide... Um, there's all this stuff with like the new league year, which is like sometime in mid March. If they, they have like two days inside the new league year, they have to decide by the third day of the new league year, what they want to do with Wentz. Otherwise, if they don't make a decision that has an impact on the 2022 cap. So because he gets a bonus for being on the roster on the third day of the new league year. So there is so much. And this is where having a guy like Howie Roseman really, you know, he probably, when he worked this deal out, had all that stuff in his mind of, all right, this is why we're going to do it this way. And that, you know what I mean? I would hope so. Uh, but the big question for me is, are you going to base such a big decision on four football games? And that's the scary part. If Jalen Hurts looks amazing, yeah, that's awesome. But what if he's not, and this is just a four-game stretch, and next year you see a different version of Jalen Hurts, just like you saw a different version of Carson Wentz. So are you going to make such a crucial decision for your franchise based off of four football games? That's the scary thing all about it, to me at least. Big time. Yeah. You know, the Eagles could cut Wentz and designate him as a post-June 1st, okay? If they do that, they would still owe him his 2021 salary of $25.4 million. He has a $15.4 million base salary and a $10 million roster bonus, okay? The cap hit would be $59.2 million. But if he's designated as a post-June 1st release, the Eagles could spread the cap charge of $59 million over a two-year span. So that makes things a little bit more difficult. Now... They have to make the decision by the second day of the 2021 league year, which is sometime in mid-March, because on the third day of that league year, Wentz's $22 million base salary for 2022 becomes a fully guaranteed salary, and his roster bonus of $10 million also gets paid out. So those are the problems with the, the, the cap hit scenario. So you are, whether you trade him or not, you are getting nailed with that cap hit. So do you want a guy who's not even on your roster? Or do you just say, if we're going to pay out the dead money or we're going to have this cap hit, we might as well just have him on our team? 
I don't know. I don't know if having him on your team, if you truly don't believe this is the guy anymore, I don't know if you just keep him on your team. Okay, then they could trade him. And if they complete the trade before the third day of the league year, they would not owe him the $10 million roster bonus, and the team that gets him, they take on the salary. But then they're on the hook for $33.8 million worth of salary cap charges, $9 million of signing bonus, and another $24 million of guaranteed money from 2022 to 2024. They could use the post-June 1 designation on a trade to spread out any cap charges. So that's a scenario where they could trade them, but they still have $33 million worth of cap on their books. Yeah, and they, and they set this up this way. You know, the only reason why I'm so frustrated about it is, and I know at the time we felt, oh, you're going to have a bargain, but this is what happens when you gamble and it backfires. They didn't need to do it, and they didn't need to do it with Jake Elliott either. Salary-wise, he's a bargain. Salary cap-wise, not so much. Correct. So if another team gets him, they would be getting him at a salary that is pretty comfortable to them. That is correct. The problem for the Eagles is they're taking all the cap penalties. Right. So it's not so much the AAV and what you're actually paying him when you get the trade if you're the opposing squad. It's how it impacts the Eagles organization. And that's where the, the stressfulness comes in for me is, you know, the fact that they didn't need to. And they did it twice now. And it backfired on two guys in Carson Wentz and Jake Elliott. So, you know, they did this themselves and they got to find a way to dig themselves out of it. And it's not going to be easy. All right, when we come back, we will dive into these anytime hotline calls.